Welcome to Defining Us, America's classroom where education is a revolution of the heart and mind. I'm Stacey DeWitt, executive producer of the Defining Us documentary series and digital platform. Educo is the Latin word for educate. It means to bring out and develop from within. And teachers and students across our country are doing just that. They are leading a movement focused on helping individuals and communities change from within in order to improve the most important social issues of our times, race, gender, sexuality, poverty, religious difference, and much more. Our mission is to help us all get educated on these issues. We will hear from the leading voices in education, listen to the students that are defining the next generation, and learn how we can better understand ourselves and each other to create our own revolution of the heart and mind. Today, we're talking about race and equity in America with Dr. George Patterson, Senior Director of My Brother's Keeper with New York City Department of Education. George, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here today. Thank you. George, let's start by talking about you today. Tell us a little bit about your history, when you got into this work, and why it is so important in your life. Wow. My father was an educator. My father was a professor at City College, where he spent over 30 years, and he spent his last 10 years at New York University. Uh, My father raised myself and my sister uh, part of the time as a single father. I don't know what I would have done without my father in my life. And sometimes when I look at our young men, often they come from single households, which we have in common. And they don't really know their fathers. So they're the disconnect there in terms of how to actually go from boy to man. Often what you see is they learn those values uh, in the street and instead of at home. And my father was such an inspiration to me that when I look at our young men, I feel it's my duty to share the knowledge, uh, to share the inspiration, everything that he gifted to me. Just that commitment to making sure that you reach your potential and you go on to be the best person you could be. I feel almost that spirit within me to give to our young men in the system that are experiencing so much trauma these days. You know, George, I think a lot of people really don't understand how much the school systems across this country and particularly New York City Department of Education are doing to provide that kind of support for America's young men of color. So I want you to tie the My Brother's Keeper program now to that work. Sure. Give the audience um, some information about what My Brother's Keeper is and how it really fills the gap um, for so many young men of color. My Brother's Keeper is an initiative uh, that when it's working at its full capacity, every district that adopts the initiative should have a plethora of schools that provide a safe and supportive environment for our young men. Often, what you find in our schools are that they are what I would call spirit killers. So you see so many of our young men directed into special ed programs. They're faced with zero tolerance policies because often there is an opportunity gap. They go to school and then met with the curriculum that they may not be able to relate to. They have nothing in common with. So one of the first milestones is 
a healthy start to school at an early age. But if you're coming to school already, preschool, kindergarten, filled with trauma, and it may have been passed on to you from your parents through poverty and the conditions that you're in, everything that affects us in disproportional ways has been addressed. MBK is equity in action. It is, to me, a form of reparations. Uh, it is actually what our schools need to succeed. You mentioned the spirit killer, and I don't think there's anybody in America, or at least most of us, do not want to be in a position of being spirit killers. But the fact is, I think with the media and the culture and the systems that we have in place, this is something these kids experience. So what happens inside of you if you don't have a support system and you don't have people that are around you who can lift you up when you are experiencing a spirit killer? Pain. Pain is what goes on. And that's what our young men are experiencing every day when they walk into school. And it is part of the school's job to alleviate that pain. Unfortunately, with everyone teaching to a test, it's hard to do because we got to get through the curriculum because if we don't do well on the test, then people lose their jobs. So our kids experience pain in their communities, in their homes, and at their school. Everywhere they turn, dad's gone, dead or in jail, mom is struggling, she's never home. I've got siblings to take care of, I'm dirt poor. I have nothing, I feel like nothing. And I don't know too much. And when I go to school, all they do is tell me how much of a failure I am. Can't read, can't do math. They want me to go into special ed classes. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with me, but there must be. That's, again, that's toxic stress at a young age. But what we have to know is that underneath the pain lies the power. So if you can get underneath the pain and get to the power, that's why we did all that stuff. That's why MBK is here, to promote these, get, get them, get the pain off of them. Now, that's not going to be long term, but it'll be for that day. And if you do it consistently, you start seeing these young men become leaders. I'll say, no, I have confidence now. I've been shown role models now. I'm studying people from my community that went on and achieved success. My teacher made that part of the curriculum. They realized what I was going through and they reached out to me and there were support systems in place and they gave me second, third, fourth, fifth chances and didn't give up on me. So they got beneath my pain and realized my power. That's what MBK is doing. Wow. Let's talk about that power. It's so critical that America understands that students of color are now the majority in the U.S. The whole idea behind My Brother's Keeper is not just to provide the social and emotional support. It's really also to help them have the social and emotional support. So talk about the academic piece of this. How are you measuring MBK? And do you see these kids succeeding with these kinds of programs in place? So we put together a strategic vision and a strategic plan. Built into the strategic plan, are obviously, accountability pieces. Because the word 
should be with the students, right? It shouldn't just be 100% on professional development or I'm just going to buy a bunch of resources. No, you got to get in there and work with the students. So we have to identify like a problem of practice. Like there is so much disproportionality happening in schools. So you may want to look at your suspension rates. You may want to look at your your math scores. You may want to look at your placement in special ed classes. Like what is going to be your problem of, of, of practice? So identify the problem, right? What is causing it, right? So what are those causal relationships? What is the solution to it? And then how do we, what is the accountability with that? So how do we measure if what you're doing is working? And then what are those adjustments? So for every district, because the districts and the schools may be doing something different, is going to look different. But from a high level lens, that's that's pretty much the system that we're going to take them through. George, don't you think we're at a time in this country where not only do the schools need equity and action to succeed, but our society needs equity and action to succeed? I think it's really important that we do a good job here of explaining exactly what that means. Let's talk about what is equity and what does it mean to put equity into action? Equity in action for these young men means evening the playing field, putting something in place that will force them, will inspire them, will surround them with the support systems where they can do better. So you have curriculums, right? You have our common core standards. You have zero tolerance policy. You have hiring practices. So imagine going to school and you have a curriculum where you're not in the curriculum. Your identity isn't there. You don't see yourself. So imagine listening to music or going to a movie and never seeing a black male in a movie or in the music. So you may not be able to relate to that. So when you start going through the issues that most adolescents go through, you end up in special ed because the support is not there. You end up with these long-term suspensions that end up fueling the school or prison pipeline because restorative practices are not available to you. So this is what I mean when we say that there is a disconnect that MBK addresses. So students can not only get social and emotional support, but they can get academic support. So there are initiatives that are in place that directly connect to our students in a very relational manner. Education is all about relationships. But if our kids have no one that they can relate to, then that becomes an impasse for them. You know, George, I think this is such a critical point. Um, it's so important that we have this kind of discussion about these types of relationships that you're trying to build in the classroom sure. and these types of relationships that we really need to build in communities nationwide. I believe that there are many well-intentioned people that are just not educated in the details of what is going on in these large communities of color and what some of these students are struggling with. And what we have to understand is that these young men and women will lead us into the future. We are all connected and we create our own future together. So I want to step back for a minute and I really want you to talk about from a bigger picture now, from the long view, what we need to be focused on, not just in a classroom, but in America. So we are living in a very unique time. 
there are some things that have recently happened that have brought certain other things to fruition. We've seen police killings. Breonna Taylor, uh, George Floyd. And then COVID happened. So what you're talking about is a community that through whatever, if you want to call it racism, discrimination, explicit, implicit bias, whatever term you want to use, we see it everywhere. We see it in housing. We see it in education. We see it in the penal system. We see it in nutrition. So all of a sudden there was like this, almost like an explosion after we saw what happened with George Floyd. We saw the knee on the neck. And it was very, a byproduct of that was that somehow the stars aligned. And people started to really understand whether you want to talk about slavery, Jim Crow, stop and frisk, mass incarceration, and now the byproduct of COVID. We have been at on the on like right at the root of all of that. So now it's time for our young men to take all of their experience, take everything that their ancestors have left them with. And it's their time now to stand up and lead. And who better than to lead? Who better to talk to about pain? Who better to talk to about what it takes to get through a condition where you may not be able to get support or lend support to your loved ones? Because since you experienced that, you don't want to see that for anyone else. What we want to do is bring everyone together and say, listen, we can achieve this American dream, right? America was created as almost like a, you know, this is going to be an example of what we could be. So, yeah, let's be that example. And we want it to be inclusive of all male, female, black, white, gay, straight, because we know pain. We know poverty. Who better? to lead than those that have experienced the worst. Wow, George, that was really well said and actually a kind of new thought. I think it's not something that we talk about a lot in America and how people from all different backgrounds need to be able to rise to leadership positions in this country. You know, we are absolutely living in very transformational times, really on all levels. Um, And it's fascinating that COVID is, to a large degree, about breath. And when we think about George Floyd, we hear the chant in our minds, I can't breathe. I'd like you to talk a little bit about what it means when you feel like you can't breathe. So I want to start by saying it's an absolute shame that when you talk about The person who died at the hands of the police who said, I can't breathe. You got to say which one. Because we had Eric Gardner a couple of years ago here in New York that said the same thing. So it's interesting that you make that connection uh, between breath, because we know that COVID does attack the lungs. Um, And when breath is taken from you, 
whether it be at the hands of the police, whether it be at the hands of the penal system, whether it be at the hands of the housing system, whether it be at the hands of the educational system. It's all the same thing. When your breath is taken away in school, it looks one way. It looks like retention, special ed, dropout. Housing, it looks another way. Shelters, homelessness. In the penal system, it looks another way. I haven't even been found guilty yet. I just don't have the money to make bail. So I have to spend a year in here. When you talk about breath, you're talking about, to me, it's like intersectionality. Like many people think it's oppression is, I don't like you and you don't like me. They deal with it economically. You see it in communities through gentrification. Grandma's house where we didn't have anything, we had grandma's house. And we knew the guy who owned the store up the block. We knew the pastor at the church. We had the, the basketball league and we had the YMCA. The community isn't the same anymore. Hey, you're out. You're in a shelter. You may have had that brownstone in Brooklyn. Now that brownstone is worth $2 million. And it's a white community now. Your pastor isn't there. The people on the, your community isn't there. Imagine that. That's taking your breath away. Imagine not only losing your family, but losing your community. And, and you, you, you're looking at kids, kids. How are they supposed to handle that? They have no protection. They have no one to shield them. So I'm facing oppression that is multi-layered. It's economics. It's in school. It's everywhere you turn and everywhere you look. And that, to me, is one of the significant reasons or the catalysts for what's happening. So where do they find it? Where do they find love? And we, like it's been said over and over, we know where they find it. They find it in the streets with their friends. But now they're in gangs now. Home isn't a good place anymore. You may not even have a home. I go to school, I'm not wanted there. So I got, I got the gang. It's a vicious, vicious cycle. So that breath you're talking about, it's everywhere. We lose our breath all the time. And this is why we need my brother's keeper. So we can get some dignity, some self-esteem back to those that have been ostracized and those who have been left behind. And I just want to say this, MBK is for people of color. So if you're Native American, if you're Latinx, if you're Black, whoever, you all have been, all of you feel that because you are not part of, of the, the positive parts of the system. So this is what the vision, I believe, was to, to save those that the system has left behind. You know, there's this, this concept in education called culturally responsive education. I think that's something that a lot of people have not actually ever heard before, and a lot of people don't really understand. I want you to talk about what is culturally responsive education, and what does it mean for these students in particular, and what can it mean for our country, for families at home, um, for people in communities that are trying to bridge some of these gaps? It is critical to these young men. 
because they, didn't, they don't get taught history, their history in school. The only thing we learn in school is that we come from slaves. So we're failures. They don't get taught their identity in school. So you will notice many of our males and our females have low self-esteem because they don't have blonde hair and blue eyes. They're not that American dream look. So what MBK has done is put an initiative in place where we can begin to teach them their fantastic history, both here in America and before we arrived on these shores. And we want to know of it. We want to know Native American history. Uh, we want to know European history. We want to know Asian history because we're all better when we all know about each other. And then self-identity, black joy. How do we celebrate who you are, the way you look? How do I bring joy to you? Because you know what happens when I bring joy to you? Their self-esteem goes up. Their capacity increases. When they feel good about themselves, the stress lowers. So when we say history and identity has to be elements that are taught as part of MBK, we mean that because we know that is what will save our young men. They have to be taught how great they are and they have to be taught their history. Okay, so let's take this down to the practical. What are some things that I can do, some specific things that I can do to help with self-identity, to help with raising self-esteem. Let's talk about those specifics and tactics that are working in schools and that can be adjusted and work across our country. There's so many. It's all about picking one and sticking with it. I'll give you an example of a couple of things I did when I was a principal. Every day we started off our school day with something called town hall. And we spent an hour celebrating them. That's how we started off the day. The celebration of students was unreal. They would come up on stage. They would announce to everyone something positive that happened or something sad that happened. We cheered when something positive happened. and We patted our hearts when something bad happened to them. And we mixed in their culture. We played hip hop music. We had rap battles, teachers versus students. We had dance battles. So they began to want to rush to school to be part of that because we don't know what happened to them the day before or on their way to school. But we know as soon as they entered our building, we were going to take them and lift their spirits up. We were going to bring black joy and love to those students. We understood the relational aspect of learning. I tell you, it's an amazing experience when you take these students who are oblivious to their history and you start teaching them their history, they would be outside of the classroom in the hallway by themselves. I would come walking through and they would, they would light up. Mr. Patterson, look at this. Mr. Patterson, look at that. Because the projects that they were doing, they couldn't do in a classroom. 100% project-based. And then we had a culminating event. We invited everyone from the entire community to come look at the school. It looked like a museum. But those are just examples of how you can uplift both academically, socially, emotionally, you name it. This, this is, these, those are the type of, a, of initiative that we want to see happening through My Brother's Keeper and much more within the schools.
So connect the dots for me. You have just described an amazing experience. We really want everyone to understand that this is a credible, proven strategy that My Brother's Keeper and all the strategies that are implemented in the districts that are using it is are really held to a very high standard. And there is ongoing measurement that shows whether or not we are seeing results. In that way, again, I think education can be so important as a model for us because MBK is kind of an example of what can be, what America can become. I'd like for you to describe what you think we can become and what we can't even really see in our own mind's eye right now if we can elevate these young men and women, embrace these young women, men and women, put programs around them and give them the opportunity to lead us into not just a future, but a better future, a new future for the entire population. Moving forward, what these programs do is they provide, like I don't want to underestimate or understate uh, this, but unless you have, I've spent the last 22 years working in Title I schools and in black communities in Brooklyn, New York. High gang populations, drug populations. I've seen charter schools come and take your high performing students and really create an imbalance. So now the kids in their class, they don't even have someone to compete with in their class anymore. So you're talking about a population that has been left behind. You're talking about people that have nothing to even live for at times. We see it with the outbreak of violence since COVID has started. People already stressed out. Now they're homeless. Now they lost their parents. Now the gangs are going crazy. The killings are going crazy all over New York City. And I'm sure throughout the country. This isn't going to change everything overnight. But this is a significant step in the right direction. And I like what Regent Lester Young did here in New York City, where he put it through the school system. And he said, listen, we're going to start with our young men and our young boys that are in the school systems. And we're going to leave part of this up to the schools to come up with these initiatives to support them, because this is where we know we have them for six, seven hours a day. If they're in after school, eight, nine hours a day, we have them for hours. So now, We've got some resources. We've got some materials. We can get some training for some staff. We can get some mentorship in here. We get some books. We, and, and we can spend time loving them. And that's all they want. All they want is love. And you see how love will make a difference. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned Dr. Lester Young. He has done amazing work in um, getting the backing for My Brother's Keeper and actually implementing that program and overseeing that program. And we're excited that he's going to be a part of the podcast and coming up in the near future. So I hope everybody will look forward to that. 
The last question I want to get to is about this sort of transcendental moment that um, is going on in the country. This is not a new fight. We have been at this for quite some time. Race in America, to some degree, is an old story. But there are a lot of people now saying that this is a new moment for race in America and a potential turning point. Do you believe that? And are you hopeful that we really can change what we have not been able to change in the past? This civil rights effort is different. I've seen things happen that I never would have thought I would have seen. Uh, And I'll give you an example. When COVID came along, things that we had been fighting for for years happened overnight. I saw state exams that, that sometimes punish our kids often. All of a sudden, they were gone. I saw laptops being mailed out to every kid in the city that didn't have one. I saw partnerships with, with, with companies to get internet access into homes. So you start saying to yourself, this can happen. This is amazing. But what I also saw, and what I think has really had the most impact on me, in New York City, every time I turn on the TV and I see Black Lives Matter, people marching all over the city, Black people are the minority. I see more whites. I don't know what happened. It's like the stars just magically aligned. I don't know what it was, but you almost feel like, and I hope it's not phony, but you almost feel like they finally understand. I was talking to an Asian friend of mine who had some opposing views, racial views in the past. And she came to me and said, I want to do my part. It was almost like she was admitting, like, I get it now. So I don't know why the light bulb came on, but while it's on, let's take it and let's run with it. Because for the future of our great country, we we did enough resources in this country where we could all live without anger, without evil, uh, without being spirit killers. And I think bringing that black joy to our children, let's not forget one of the grants of MBK, it's the family and community grant to bring it to our families, to bring this joy to our communities that need it. I've seen so much. Um, A friend of mine, Jamal Bowman, who was a principal up in the Bronx, he got elected to Congress recently. He went from a principal to a congressman. So this one is different. People are noticing they're, they're waking up. Wake, Spike Lee used to say that all the time. Wake up. He used to end his movies. Wake up. Wake up. I think people are waking up. And I tell you, if there's something positive to come out of this COVID, uh, and we know that the effects this had on our community, But if there's anything positive that has come out of this is that white people, to a certain extent, have woken up. You know, as a white person, I think you're right. I think it is far beyond time. I think we are seeing people open their minds, change their hearts 
And we are just so appreciative to you today for being on the podcast. We believe that the first step in positive change is to elevate the conversation about these issues, for all of us to be able to sit down and have this kind of conversation in a respectful place. And we really hope we got that started today. Thank you so much for this opportunity. If anybody wants to learn more about George Patterson and the work that's going on through My Brother's Keeper, please visit us at definingus.org. You can also contact us through definingus.org, particularly if you're a community leader or an educator or someone who wants to try to start to implement some programs that are similar in your community. We'd love to help you. We'd love to help you make that connection through a network of educators across the country that are doing amazing work and such critical work at such an important time in our country. Thanks so much, and we will talk to you and see you next time.